My name is Bill Jay, and I am talking to you from Tempe, Arizona. When I saw a bunch of photographs which I didn't understand, uh, then I would contact the photographer. memory is that it was just a ring at the door, you, you know, and suddenly there was this guy. I came into the room and I looked the guy up and down and said, hmm, this is an interesting character. The reason I accepted your offer to be included here is because I hold the guy in such high regard. I personally think he's the most interesting writer there's been on photography. He owed a lot of money and um, he just got out of everything. He escaped. He was a lone voice in America. He was a beacon of hope, really. He was an evangelist. Bill was a catalyst for all of us. He was the flame that started it all. The meaning of that is unintelligible, and so it should be. My name is Grant Scott, and this is In Search of Bill J. Well, hello and welcome to episode three and welcome back to The Shed. I'm still here, still searching for Bill J. And since I created uh, episode two, more stuff has appeared, more information. It seems to be a search that is never-ending. I recently received a book from Australia A few of the legends, uh, interviews and photographs by Peter Adams. And in that book was more Bill J information. A photograph of Bill in New Zealand in 1998. I wasn't aware that he'd even been there. But perhaps most interestingly, and going back to episode one, there's a little piece of text here. It's a quote from Bill about his childhood that gives us more information about just how poor Bill was. It says this. Wartime rations entitled us to one egg per person per week. To supplement our diet, my father fished in the Thames for eels, which we kept in our bathtub. It was my job to watch and chuck them back if they jumped out. I didn't have too many baths as a child, but what the hell, we did have an eel pond inside the house. I think we can gather from that that Bill's childhood wasn't straightforward either, just as his life wasn't. But in this episode, we're going to deal with something which perhaps is one of the key elements in the history of photography. That's a big statement to make, isn't it? But just wait till you hear what happened in those few weeks in 1968 when Bill Jay and Tony Ray Jones went to New York. We've already spoken about how Tony Ray Jones met Bill and how he laid down the gauntlet to Bill that if he was serious about photography, then he would go to New York. But I found it very difficult to come up with any factual information. There's a little bit, as you're going to find out, but not a lot. However, what I have found in my journey and since making the film are the original contact sheets I believe were Bill Jay's but could have photographs by Tony Ray Jones within them. So that's something we're going to be talking about. But I also met somebody recently who told me more 
about Tony Ray Jones and that trip. Tony Ray Jones became friends with me somehow in that year. That was 61, 62. Well, we always used to berate Tony for, for selling out because he was working for car and driver. He wasn't even a photographer. Before he was a photographer, I went to him with a proposal of a job that I wanted to do for the magazine that Brodovich had given him the design, the art directorship of. And this was the first of the American. It wasn't American Airlines. It was I think it was maybe it was American Airlines. It was an airline magazine. It was like the first of the airline magazines. So I had made an appointment to go and see Tony. I said, I wanted to photograph teenage weddings at City Hall as an idea for the magazine. His photographs came up and I said, well, let me see. And so I saw his photographs and I said, why are, not, why are you here as an art director? You should be out taking photographs. They're much too good to be just doing nothing. So he literally on that basis became a photographer or decided he's going to be a photographer. So he got a shared a loft somewhere down on 26th Street. And then uh, we stayed good friends and kind of combatants. We couldn't be actually friends in a way. There was Joel Meyerowitz, Joel Meyerowitz, who was the other person? Well, Gary Winogrand, Joel Meyerowitz, and Tony. I would call them the three musketeers. He used to go up and down Fifth Avenue with their Leicas and a 28 millimeter or 35 millimeter lens taking pictures on the street. That was photographer Alan McQueenie giving us some insight there into the very early days of Tony Ray Jones and his friendship with Tony. Interesting that he described it as a combatant, a little bit the way in which Bill Jay's relationship ran. I think maybe a lot of people's relationships ran with Tony. I don't know, but I do hear that in my research. Let's hear a little bit more about Alan and Tony. He went on a kind of road trip. He knew a person named Aaron Rose, who I knew. And he would say, oh, this I know this guy named Aaron Rose. He does fantastic work. He's in the darkroom all the time doing things, doing things. And then he'd say to me, why aren't you doing something? You know, he'd start criticizing me at what I wasn't doing and that I was lazy and not doing anything. And then he worked for Opera News. Um, He got an assignment from the person who gave me more assignments than anybody else, Bob Ciano. And Bob Siano gave him an assignment. And then we were saying to Tony, now don't send all the, all the contact prints. Just send him a selection. Send him the picture you like. And Bob Siano said, send the selection and you don't get paid. <laughs> send the contact, you don't get paid. So Tony sends them all. So then we're all berating Tony for being another sellout again. And that he was always in this idea that he was working for car and driver. And he was just working for the art directors by taking what we would term as designy pictures. Now, I don't know who the we were. This is just sort of me and him. This is all great insight and leading up to that trip to New York and that confrontation with Bill. It seems that Tony was doing the same thing to Alan also, berating others for not doing as much as he was doing. Let's hear more from Alan. I'm enjoying what he's got to say. He introduced me. By, you know, by letter to Bill Jay, he's, he's the first person that does interesting photography magazine, but he works for this crazy guy who, who likes to, to have pictures of uh, sort of sexy pictures of women without the clothes on. And he has this club that he teaches 
And, and Bill did this teaching uh, members. They were all the same kind of people and they all took the same kind of pictures. Alan's story there from the perspective of Tony Ray Jones confirmed stories that I'd heard from others about how Bill funded Creative Camera, which was basically by teaching at these and running these um, clubs in a basement where people could come and photograph nude women. Okay, and then he comes over to New York and I say, well, I'll introduce you. Let's do some other things. We'll, I'll introduce you to other people. So he and I called up Ouija and he and I went to see Ouija and we, uh, we went through his pictures over on 42nd Street. This is starting to get fascinating. I'd always believed that Tony Ray Jones was the person who had introduced Bill Jay to all the photographers he met in New York. But it seems as if Alan was also instigating those meetings. One of Bill's most famous portraits from his Photographer's Photographed series is of Ouija. And I can tell you that I've also found the contact sheets from the visit that they had and pictures of Ouija in his apartment very shortly before his death. I think Alan's got more to tell us. We did Ouija. Then there were other people that we, we talked about and we discussed lots of stuff. And then he disappeared. He just vanished. We will return to what happened on that trip and give a little bit more detail around it later in this episode. But I was keen to hear from Alan a little bit more about his relationship with Tony Ray Jones and his understanding of how Tony actually became a photographer and found the kind of work that he wanted to do. My ex-wife, Artelia Court, gave Tony his... Uh, became his reason for his photographing in England to do um, photographs of the mummers and other other uh, other groups of English people or Irish people. He would berate me that I wasn't doing any work while I was working on the travelers. Meantime, he was working on this these other English traditions and things that he wanted to do. So he went to the seaside and he, he did these other things. But it was Artelia. She said, why don't you photograph some of the traditions that are dying out in England and uh, let that be some purpose, give you a purpose in what you're doing instead of just wandering around the streets. I'm not sure how widely known that information is. Of course, I'm taking Alan at his word. I'd always thought that Tony had been influenced in some way by Bill or by Benjamin Stone's work. But no, Alan's bringing us some new insight here. We now know that Alan had introduced Bill to Ouija. Now we're about to hear that Alan also introduced him to one of the greats of photography at that time living in New York, Diane Arbus. Actually, I introduced him to Diane Arbus. And he was embarrassed by Diane Arbus because she sat directly opposite him with her feet up on the table or on a chair without any underwear. Bill has written about this meeting with Arbus and what happened and what she made him eat 
in some detail, a story that features in the Patricia Morisot biography of Arbus and also on the United Nations of Photography.com website. It's one of the few meetings that Bill actually wrote about in detail. And that is one of the issues with this whole trip to New York. Here are a few facts that I've been able to get together. They stayed at the Chelsea Hotel because Tony Ray Jones agreed to do some photography in return for payment for their room. I know that one of the pictures he took was of a jazz photographer sitting in an armchair because Alan told me about that and that it was a great picture. I know that Tony and Bill walked the streets of New York and certainly at some point got involved in a parade because I've got the photographs to prove it. Of course, I can't confirm any of this with Bill or with Tony because they've both passed on, as has Gary Winogrand. Joel Meyerwitz is still with us, thankfully, and I'm going to be talking to him for a future episode about his memories based on the facts that Alan has given me. Interestingly enough, in my conversations with Joel so far, he can remember meeting Bill in 1966 in London, introduced to Bill by Tony. But I've got Bill saying he met Joel in 1968. Once again, confusion abounds. The one thing I have got physical evidence of is the fact that Tony Ray Jones's pictures, America and England, were first published in the UK. In fact, his work in that sense within a photographic magazine were first published in Creative Camera in October 1968, obviously down to Bill. Bill became a huge supporter of Tony's work, including him in an exhibition in 1969-1970 at the ICA, when Bill became head of the Photo Studies Centre there that he created. More great stories for a future episode. What's also very clear is that the moment they get back from New York, Bill is fired up and immediately starts to include work by Gary Winogrand and Lee Friedlander and Diane Arbus and Robert Frank in the pages of Creative Camera. I said at the beginning of this episode that that trip to New York was so important in the history of photography, and it was because for the first time, English photographers were starting to see American photographers, their different approaches to the medium, and their embracing of contemporary practice as we see it today. In making this podcast series, I returned to a lot of the original tapes that I recorded at the beginning of the film project. One of them was a telephone conversation with Tony Ray Jones's partner, Anna Ray Jones. What was interesting was she named a photographer that started to make everything come together. Bill got fired up once he started meeting other photographers, like uh, the Irish photographer Alan, Alan McQueenie, who had known uh, Tony here in New York, came to London. Gary Winogram came to our home at Gloucester Place. And Tony moved amongst this coterie of other photographers, uh, such as Don McCullen and Philip Jones Griffiths. And Philip Jones Griffiths was a great friend. Tony
Tony started connecting Bill to these people and uh, making introductions for him and saying, oh, you should publish this one, you should publish that one. So there we are, Anna Ray Jones citing Alan McQueenie as being important in Bill's story and a number of other photographers that Alan has alerted us to and I was aware of through David Hearn's parties at his flat. Suddenly everything seemed to be coming together and there was no doubting the influence that that trip to New York had had on Bill. A real game changer because once he was here, Tony introduced him to Eugene Smith and, uh, and a lot of Magnum people who were here, Mark whole that, that whole coterie of that generation of photographers who were here in New York uh, during the 60s. And, uh, and I think Bill, it blew Bill's mind, you know, it was a real eye-opener, like this is what it's really about. Uh, and, and of course, when he came back, he was all fired up and all inspired and, and uh, the magazine grew in leaps and bounds because they now were publishing very high quality photographic work. And it sort of changed the direction of the magazine forever. Today, when we can access photography whenever and wherever we want, it's hard to push ourselves back into that place where that was really difficult. And a magazine like Creative Camera may be the only place where you could see work by these photographers presented in a way which was respectful of the narrative and the story that was being told through the work. Creative Camera was this magazine for that time. And Bill J was the editor who was putting that work onto paper. Every month, UK-based photographers were being exposed to work they had never seen before. As we let out in a previous episode, Bill's time at Creative Camera was coming to a close pretty soon after he returned from New York. Colin Osman wasn't keen on the direction that Bill was going in. We've already had a reference to the idea that Colin had for the magazine that was very different to Bill's. But that trip to New York changed everything for him. I think you could also say that Bill helped change everything for Tony. Because through Creative Camera, Tony now had a voice within the photographic community, not only a supporter in Bill. Without Bill talking about Tony Ray Jones's work at a student talk in Manchester in 1971, Martin Parr would never have heard of Tony Ray Jones, I would suggest. But anyway, what we do know is that Creative Camera had now become the most influential magazine in the UK, showing American photography and also European photography. That's something we haven't even had a chance to discuss yet. In the next episode, we'll look in more detail at the end of Creative Camera for Bill J and what came next. Album Magazine, the ICA Photo Study Centre, and for Bill, more arguments, more confrontation and more chaos. The search continues. This has been a United Nations of Photography production. All music was composed and played by Laura Ritchie. If you'd like to find out more about the film Do Not Bend, The Photographic Life of Bill J, visit 
www.donotbendfilm.com. Thank you.